Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Uh, And every word that comes from your mouth is true. I pray tonight that your spirit would be our teacher. And not only, please, would you um, teach this material to us, but as we learned the last time, would you cause us to worship you uh, for who you are and for what you've done in our lives as we're reading here in, in uh, Romans 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. It is unbelievable uh, who you are and how you've treated us and where you've placed us. Uh, please continue to help us um, digest this material uh, to our benefit, please. Let me pray for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're in a mini-series on uh, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. After we jumped off of Joshua 5, Joshua showed us a picture of living in the promised land, and Romans puts the theology to that picture. So last time, we talked about those who've crossed the river have settled the answers to three questions and then live in light of those answers. Three questions, three answers, but living in light of those answers. First question that we asked and answered last time is, how does God see me, really? And we talked about this theological concept called justification. Some of you have heard the word, some of you have never heard the word, but it means a legal declaration by which God declares the guilty sinner righteous by imputing Christ's righteousness to their account. So that's what justification is. It's by faith. We learn in chapter 4, it's by faith, not by works. It's by grace, not by law. And it's by resurrection power, not by human effort. And if you can't remember all that, remember who brought them across the river into the promised land. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't the law. It was Joshua. Joshua brought them into the promised land. Change of leadership, change of lifestyle, everything about that. So justification, that was our big word from last week. How does God see me, really? And we talked about justifications. We looked in chapter 5, and we found out that the penalty has been paid. In fact, paid in full. No more to be added. What do you think, or I'll put it on me, what do I think I could add to the righteousness of Christ in God's sight? Could I be... I heard a guy this morning... And he said, oh, man, man, I messed up on that one. And I said, well, what do you think that means? And he said, I, I don't know. I, maybe God's, you know, he's kind of looking down on me. You know, he's not happy with me. And I said, okay, and so tomorrow you do all the right things and he, he will be happy with you again. Yeah. I told him, come to class. You're wrong. You're wrong. You are in Christ. The penalty has been paid. What more do you think 
you're going to add in God's sight to the righteousness of Christ? Answer, nothing. Nothing. He says, why would you want to pay what's already paid in full? You get your receipt from the grocery store, and you bought a, a, you know, one of those rolls of cookie dough. Oh, I love those. <laughs> and you paid full price. You walked out of the store. You got in your car. You pulled the receipt out of your pocket, and you said, ah, I don't know that I've paid for this. And you go back in, and you pay again. What are they going to do? They're going to look at you and say, I'm... <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> this has already been paid for in full. You don't have to pay anymore. Yay! <laughs> That's what Jesus has done. Of course, he's way better than cookie dough. So chapter 5, justification, the penalty is paid. Chapter 5 is all about our position in Christ. Christ died for us. Now remember, in chapter 6, some of you learned the Romans road as a way to, um, maybe that's how you came to faith, or maybe you've used it with other people. Wonderful. Uh, remember Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. If, if it's been paid, what more is there to pay? Jesus died for our sin. Death has been paid. The wages of sin is death. Okay? What wages does sin incur? Death. When death has happened, the wages have been paid in full. I know I'm saying the same thing over and over and over, but we're dealing with concepts, and sometimes we just got to let these things sink in. The wages of sin is death. If death has happened, then the wages have been paid. There's no more left to be paid. All right. We have a new position, we have a new standing, and we have new privileges. We talked about justification through imputation. Justification through imputation. Justification through imputation. Got it? Yeah? Okay, good. That will be on the final. Absolutely. Guaranteed. Okay, so we talked about Romans chapter 5. We also talked about it in these terms, that there are two lands. The land you and I were born into, Egypt, a land where I am born a sinner. If I believe in God, His acceptance is conditional. I have the due of ceaseless works that depend on my self-effort. When I encounter difficulties, hardships, and suffering, it must be God's punishment. And so what do I need to do? I need to try harder. I need to perform better. Remember we talked about this in the book of Job. This is not how it's ever been. But this is the land in which I was born, the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh, when I was born this way, he says, try harder. And he says, God is not pleased with you today. You did something wrong. You're on his naughty list. No. You were born again into the promised land. You are now a saint and a son or daughter. God's acceptance is full, complete, and forever. 
And for that, we looked at Romans 8. Remember we talked about the package deal? All right. Then I'm not going to talk about it again. It's the done of grace rather than the do of ceaseless works. It's done through the Holy Spirit. Difficulties, hardships, and suffering are God's tools to transform us. And now it's our effort, His plus mine. And I finished last time by talking about the big pile of sins. Remember, and Jesus comes over and helps me shovel because I'll never make any progress by myself. And so that's all changed. I have a new identity. New identity. Second, I have a new family. I have a new family. Under the first Adam, I was born as part of humanity. And if you look at the two lands and the big giant wall that goes in between them, here's the big giant wall that goes in between them. And so here's the land of Egypt, and then here's the promised land. On this side, I am in Adam. And while I don't have to commit the most heinous sins of all, everything I do even on this side is sinful and therefore earns me the wages of sin, which is death. Good. Now I have a new family. I have a new identity. That was kind of uh, the first half of the chapter, chapter 5. Second half was I have a new family. And while I won't do everything perfectly as Jesus did, everything I do from here on over will be in the land of grace. I've changed families. And this is God's work, not yours, not mine. So what did I inherit from Adam? Sin. Religion, a performance or bookkeeping mindset. That's what I inherited from Adam. What do I inherit from Jesus, who is the last Adam? I inherit righteousness, relationship, and grace. I have a new identity and I have a new family. That's what we talked about last time. So those who've crossed the river have settled the answers to three questions and then live in light of those answers. How does God see me really? He sees me as justified. Justified. One last way of thinking about this, right? If I were um, guilty of a crime and I were found guilty in a court of law and it involved a prison sentence of, let's say, 10 years, and I went, I served my time, my 10 years, when I get out... I am justified. I've paid the debt. I'm now free. Society isn't going to throw me back in jail for that crime again because I've paid it. That's what Jesus has done. He's paid it all and there's nothing left for us to pay. So how does God see me really? He sees me as justified. Second question. How do I overcome deliberate sin? This is the issue of license. Uh, Paul says in chapter 6, in the first verse, he says, 
if, so if everything Paul has been saying is true in chapter 5, that God saves people by grace through faith, then Paul imagines someone saying, I got a problem with this because that's just going to encourage people to sin. Because all they got to do is say, well, if I sin, I'll be forgiven. So they're going to take advantage of grace, Paul. That cannot be how God does this. So he writes, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Verse 2 says, of course not. That's a very um, mm, tamped-down uh, rendition of what Paul said. Uh, he says in Greek, meganoita, uh, which I, I won't say what it really means, kind of, but uh, it means not only no, but heck no. <laughs> this is a strong, Paul is going, what is wrong with you? Why would you even think this way? So he says, not only no, but heck no. And he goes on to explain to them why this isn't even correct thinking based on chapters now 1 through 5, but particularly chapter 5 and justification. So shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? If God was gracious to him when, when we were sinners, whoa, this will be great. I'll keep sinning, and then his grace will continue to grow toward me. Paul's brain explodes, his mouth explodes, and he's going to now in chapter 6, he's going to ask this question twice. It's how chapter 6 breaks down. There's two sections. The first section starts with this question. The second section also starts with the same question, where Paul answers again in verse 13. He's going to throw out another meganoida uh, after he's talked about some stuff. So, how do I overcome deliberate sin? Okay. Oh, yeah, deliberate sin. Uh, deliberate sin is, of course, deliberate intentional, known, besetting sins, things I'm aware of, such as pride, anger, lust, covetousness, gossip, worry, etc. Deliberate sins. And so chapter 6, Paul moves from justification. Now he's going to spend three chapters talking about Sanctification. Once the penalty has been paid, how is the power of sin broken in my life and your life? So he's going to spend three chapters talking about that. And he's going to begin, Christ died for us, but now he wants to talk about we died with Christ to sin. And so he begins chapter 6 talking about how we have died with Christ. All right. Some of you are sitting there saying, Phew, not me. I'm not a deliberate sinner. Remember, I make nothing off of every copy of this that you should be buying. Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Let me just give you some illustrations. 
Jerry is with the Lord now. Um, uh, his, uh, here's one chapter on ungodliness. Ungodliness may de- be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or of God's will or of God's glory or of one's dependence on God. And you say, ooh, okay. And he writes this, Now the sad fact is that many of us who are believers tend to live our, li- our daily lives with little or no thought of God. Or it happens at your quiet time in the morning. And then maybe it happens at bedtime. What about all the in-between time? Have you thought of God? Have you thought of His will? Have you thought of His glory? Have you thought of your dependence on Him? Ungodliness. Ah, here's another one. Oh, this isn't true of any of us. Anxiety and frustration. In other words, he says, it is the moral will of God that we not be anxious. Why? Because Jesus said, do not be anxious. Was that his suggestion? No. That was his instruction to us. Do not be anxious. He says anxiety is sin for two reasons. First, as I've already mentioned, anxiety is a distrust of God. Anxiety is a sin also because it is a lack of acceptance of God's providence in our lives. some of the causes of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Worry is a synonym for anxiety. Nothing for us to be worried about in these days, is there? Mm. Let's try another one. Oh, here's one. Discontentment. God does nothing or allows nothing without a purpose. And His purposes, however mysterious and inscrutable they may be to us, are always for His glory and our ultimate good. We can resign ourselves to circumstances we know will never change but still harbor in our hearts a smoldering discontentment. But as Amy Carmichael so helpfully brought out, it is neither in resignation nor submission, but only in acceptance that we find peace. Acceptance means that you accept your circumstances from God trusting that He unerringly knows what is best for you and that in His love, He purposes only that which is best. What? Um, I don't know. We'll, have to, we'll look it up after class. 
Okay, here's another one. Ooh, I don't like this one either. Impatience and irritability. How you doing on the uh, deliberate sin thing? Impatience, I told you I hate this book. Impatience and irritability. The key to understanding this type of impatience in that is that it is a response to the usually unintentional actions of others. Now, here's where, I don't know how he did this, but he must have lived in my house for a little while. He says, because of my hearing disability, I can often hear my wife speaking to me, but can't understand what she is saying. This is the type of situation that can easily create annoyance on her part when I ask her to repeat what she has said. So she has had to learn to be patient as opposed to being impatient with me in these instances. In case you are wondering, he has in parentheses, I have tried a hearing aid, but it does not help my particular type of deafness. <laughs> it's the frequency. That's what I think it is. It's the frequency. On my part, so now uh, here's another paragraph. On my part, I like to live life with a time margin. I like to start early enough that I can get to church or the airport or wherever we might be going in an unhurried fashion. My wife, on the other hand, has an incredible ability to be ready to go just in the nick of time. How she does it this closely is a mystery to me. So here I am ready to go but waiting on her. How will I handle this? Will I be impatient and say something such as, why are you always late? Or even say nothing but communicate my displeasure by my unspoken attitude of impatience? Or will I be patient with her, realizing that a harmonious relationship with her is more important than leaving the house at my prescribed time? Well, you get the idea. We are all guilty every day of deliberate sins. And so, I want to ask you the question again. What do I stop doing, or how do I stop doing what I know I shouldn't be doing? How do I do that? Paul is going to give us the answer. Let me read the first 14 verses to you. These are powerful verses. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not! Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with Him in His death, 
we will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over Him. When He died, He died once to break the power of sin. But now that He lives, He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. What is Paul telling us? If my future with God is so certain and secure, then I can live as I want to, obeying God only if and when I feel like it. Paul's rebuttal, believers should not think that way about grace, and believers cannot think that way about grace. God has made us partakers of His power over sin, and that power should increasingly reveal itself through a lifestyle of righteousness and holiness. When we say, I'm only human, I, it's just what I do, I sin. Sorry, honey, I'm impatient again. And don't strive in the power of the Spirit to see change happen. Paul's saying, that's not right. You cannot think that way. That's not correct, Bill. You need to change your thinking. Ongoing sin is inadmissible in a Christian's life. This is Paul's point. Inadmissible. The justified have been set free from the land and therefore the power of sin. They have a new life and a new power. Why? Because they have been united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Because they have been set free. Because they are partakers of His new power. You are no longer who you used to be. You have been changed. Irrevocably changed. You say, I don't know if I feel the change. That's why Paul says, reckon. Reckon is an accounting term. Right? Two plus two equals four. Reckon it to be true. 
If I've got two apples and I take another two apples and I add them together, how many apples do I have? Four. I reckoned. It's true. What is Paul telling us to reckon? That before when we were in Adam, when we trusted Christ, he says, I got you. And I see you as co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with my son. Whatever is true of my son is now true of you. I've seen you in him. I've placed you in him. Jesus, God didn't take us over the wall. He took us to death, burial, and resurrection to get to the other side. Is Jesus going to go back to the other side? No. Are you going to go back to the other side? No. Can anyone climb over the wall? No. Can you climb back over the wall? No. You can't do it. This is how you have come to find yourself on the right-hand side instead of on the left-hand side. And what is Paul? You're like, I don't know that I feel that. He doesn't say, feel this is true. (laughs) What does he say? Reckon this is true. Because in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everything starts up here. So Paul's telling you, here's what's true. Here's what two apples and two apples. It makes four apples. Here it is. This is you. Problem is, you and I don't think about ourselves this way very often. Paul's going to encourage us to think about this every day. How did he get us from Egypt or Adam's side over to Jesus' side? Because when we said yes to Jesus, God saw us in him. His death became our death. His burial became our burial. His resurrection became our resurrection. The only thing we're missing is our resurrection body. You and I are already resurrected. And resurrection power is already working in us. There should be songs of worship right now. This is unbelievable, amazing, even if you've heard this before. You should be going, oh my goodness, who are you, Lord, who would do this to sinners? You not only, you make me part of your family, and I never am going back over there. It's like a book. If this were uh, two volumes, oh, that doesn't work. (laughs) Well, Volume one is closed and put on the shelf. How did it end? It ended with me being co-crucified and co-buried with Christ. How did volume two of my life open up? Bill was resurrected. Are you going to go back to living in volume one? It's incongruous. You cannot go back and live in volume one. That's what Paul is telling you. Sin is... Sin is inadmissible in a Christian's life because you're no longer who you were. Don't you get it? And we all go, no. No, we don't get it. 
That's why I keep belaboring the same thing over and over in the hopes that if I say it 87 times, it'll finally begin to sink in. This is what we have to get in our brains. This is what we have to reckon is true because it is true, because the Word of God is true, because the God who spoke the Word is true. Everything He says is true, and it's right here. How does He see you? As justified. What does that mean? He sees you over here. You have peace with God. Right? That was Romans 5, chapter 1, or or verse 1. Therefore, we have peace with God. Ah! What? Before we were his enemies, now we are at peace with God. And what does that get us? If I can be so crass. You know, what does that get us? Paul says, it gives you grace now and glory to come. (laughs) What? That's chapter 5. Well, what about sin? I'll just keep on sinning so that God's glory will be more and more manifest and magnified. No! No, you don't get it, Bill. You're no longer who you were. You have a new union with Christ. Does Christ delight to sin? Let's say no, because that's the right answer. We have to set our minds on what is true. How has he done this? Because he sees us so united with Christ that we were co-buried, co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with him. That's how God sees us. That's how he sees the justified. Deliberate sin. The justified have been set free from the land and therefore the power of sin. They have a new life and power. They also live under a new master, new king. We're under a new reign, R-E-I-G-N. We're under a new reign. No one can serve two masters. I think somebody said that. I think it's in red. Okay? Jesus said no one can serve two masters. Now, Jesus' illustration was money and God. Same applies here. No one can serve two masters. That's the problem with living in the wilderness. That's the problem with bringing the Egyptian mindset into the Christian life. It keeps me in the wilderness because I keep trying to make it about performance and bookkeeping, and it doesn't work, and I cannot serve that master That's my volume one master, and I need to be in volume two because I have a new king. Their new master, Jesus, loves them and only wants their good. While they are not all they will one day become, they are no longer who they were. This is the justified. Let me go back to my picture. In this land, this is the land of Egypt. This is the land to which you and I were born. It's the land of sin. Who's its owner? Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who are we? We are sons of Adam. 
What power did sin have? Sin exercised its authority and power over us as Adam's children. Get this, right? I couldn't not sin. Because I'm on this side of the wall. I don't have to do the most heinous sin, but the fact that I'm on this side, I couldn't not sin. Does that make sense? Okay. Sin, of course, led us. Sin, the king, the ruler, led us to commit sins, plural, and led to spiritual death and separation from God. That's what I got as a resident of this land over here. This is where I'm born. This is where every person is born, over here. We're trying to reach the 800,000. Guess where they live? They live over here. This is where they live. What do they have to look forward to? A great life, maybe? Maybe not. What does it profit a man? He gains the whole world, but loses his soul. When we trusted Christ, who's the owner of this land? God. Who's its ruler? Who's its king? Jesus Christ. Who are we? Sons of God. What power is at work in us? No longer under the authority and power of sin, but under grace, which leads us to obedience, which leads us to Christ, righteousness, and holiness. We have a new life, we have a new power, we have a new master, a new king, a new sovereign. And you say, yeah, 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 I know all that, I know all that, how does that help me? Paul's going to get there, hold on, but make sure you're processing what we're talking about. You no longer live over here, you live over here on this side, because God so sees you in Christ that He sees you as co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with Him. The life He died, He died to sin. The life He lives, He lives to God. That needs to become our mindset. Think of it this way. When you and I choose to sin, we are denying who we really are. Because this is who you really are. When you sin, you're denying who you really are and you're, you're living back, you're trying to live back over here, but you can't. But that's how you're trying to live. You, you're, you're being in, it, it doesn't, it's not who you are. The justified have been set free from the land and therefore the power of sin. They have, how am I free from the power of sin? Not only dead, I'm resurrected. 
Why am I no longer under the power of sin? Because I have been co-crucified, co-buried, and co-resurrected with Christ. Sin's power is broken. Over here, I couldn't not sin. Over here, it's possible to sin, as we'll talk about, to sin less. Not be sinless. Get there. The justified have been set free from the land and therefore the power of sin. They have a new life and power. They live under a new master. I know some of you are saying, okay, okay, I've tried a lot of different things and nothing has helped. I'm frustrated. I've given up their bill. This isn't the first time I've heard this. And you just set me up and I'm going to come crashing down in a week again. I'm sorry. We have to go back to this daily and many times even a day. We have to begin reckoning that this is true. The death Christ died, he died to sin. The life Christ lives, he lives to God. Through union with Jesus Christ, the justified are partakers of his power over sin, and they should now live to God. As a result, in the promised land, I won't be sinless, but I can sin less. You say, huh. All of you in here, I'm going to imagine, at some point in your life, however early it was, you said yes to Jesus. If you didn't, please come talk to me afterward. If you said yes to Jesus, all of these things are true of you right now. We're not waiting. They're already true of you. And you have continued to walk in the faith, in the reckoning of what you did, right? You've got to keep on walking in faith. And you've got to keep on reckoning in faith that these things are true and that God's power through you will begin to do some work. Your one, your one moment of faith and trust in Jesus has to become a lifetime and a lifestyle of faith and trust in Jesus. Daily learning to sin less. While I hear sin calling out to me through the wall, I no longer have to listen to him or obey him. He's no longer my king. Over here, I couldn't not sin. My ruler, my, my king, Pharaoh, made me do these things. And I willingly did them. Over here, I get a new king. And he says, I've broken his power because you're dead, and I resurrected you. 
You, th- you think life will be different, Bill? I think so. I think it should be. Okay. Well, I still hear him calling me through the wall to do things. Yes, Bill, you do. But now, under my power, you don't have to say yes. Because who you choose to be your king means that's who you choose to obey. You no longer obey your former king. I mean, that'd be silly, wouldn't it? If we lived in those days, right, when there were kings and castles, (laughs) and if I left one castle for another castle, what would the new king think if I started obeying the old king? (laughs) He wouldn't think very long he'd kill me, (laughs) right, because I'm a traitor. And if this king found me, he'd kill me too, because I'm a traitor. But you don't obey the old king. Jesus says, I'm your new king, and don't obey your old king. Well, how can I stop? Because we're going to use my resurrection power, my resurrection life. You, Bill, you can't stop. This is, part of our, this is part of our issue. When we talk about performance, we still think we have the power to make a change. We're wrong. Whose power has to be at work in us to bring about the change? Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. Romans is wonderfully conceptual, and you've just got to wrestle this stuff. You've got to wrestle it. Trying to get it down on the bottom shelf so we can all process this together. But daily learning to sin less. Remember, though sin is dead to us, we are not yet dead to sin. Sin still calls out to us over or through the wall. It still promises us life and enjoyment. It lies. It lies. Problem, you and I don't think it's a lie. We think he speaks truth. Why? So, uh, this is my new illustration. Uh, I went to my ENT, you know, my uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor, because I started, I've developed a case of tinnitus, you know, the kind of, yeah. He, he says it, it comes with AGE, and I don't, know what, I don't know what he's talking about with that. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, how do we make this ringing in my ears stop? And he said, uh, okay, Bill, let's do a little biology. I'm like, okay. <laughs> It's been a few years, but I think I can track with you here. Uh, he said, what, you know, what function do your ears play? I said, well, they're only receivers. And he said, good. He said, is the ringing coming from outside you? I said, hmm, I don't think so. He said, well, your ears aren't producing it because they're only receivers. Where's the ringing coming from? I said, from my brain? And he said, from your brain. And I said, (laughs) you know, is this where you, where's the punchline? He said, no, no, no. Uh, It's coming from inside. And I said, so what is the leading hypothesis on this? 
He said, ooh, that's a really good question. He says, we don't know. But here's what we think. What we think is for 60-some years, you know, there were, there were frequencies and amplitudes that were coming into the receiver, and they were getting grooved into some neural, mm, what do you call them, pathways. And I said, okay, so they were making ruts. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, now, things with your receivers are changing, and your brain is filling in the gaps. Filling in the gaps with white noise? And he said, well, they're just filling in the gaps. I said, okay, so the ringing is coming from my brain. Yeah. The ringing is coming from your brain. I said, it's not coming from my ears or from the outside. No. So quit looking. I said, okay, well, if I get a hearing aid, will that help me? And he said, no, we've already tested your hearing, and it's fine for a person your age. <laughs> and there's no pressure differential across your eardrums. <laughs> I said, so I'm crazy? <laughs> and he said, no, 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 no. Uh, he said, we just have no test that can confirm what your, the symptoms you have. And I said, well, what do they call that? And he says, well, we call this idiopathic aural, I think it's A-U-R-A-L, aural, fullness. I said, well, I don't like the first word right off because it sounds like a combination of idiot and pathetic. <laughs> and he said, well, <laughs> it means we cannot confirm with tests what you are the problem that you're presenting to us. He said, I'm not telling you you're not hearing things. I'm not telling you anything. I'm just saying I can't confirm anything you're saying. Okay. Um, my ears are lying to me. I'm not hearing ringing because there's no external ringing. What am I hearing? I'm hearing something on the inside that tells me there's ringing going on. What do I hear when the evil one calls through the wall? I've got a ringing in my brain. <laughs> Why do I listen to his voice? Because for some number of decades, I listened to his voice, and it put ruts into my brain. And so when he calls, my head automatically turns. I don't want it to turn but it turns. What do I need to do? Reckon. <laughs> I'm hearing nothing. It's in my brain. And I don't have to listen anymore to that because it's a lie. Like the ringing in my ears is not really a ringing in my ears. <laughs> That's a lie. He lies to me. He promises life and enjoyment. He has the capacity to bring neither. But God has made us partakers of His power over sin. And that power should increasingly reveal itself through a lifestyle of righteousness and holiness. Okay, Bill, keep coming. Monday morning, that's what we need. Oh, 
by the way, this is God's expectation. Sorry. This is God's expectation. So I've got the evil one on one side of the wall calling out to me, and I can either move toward the wall or away from the wall. So while I still hear sin calling out to me and offering me promises, life and enjoyment, I know their lies. And who do I need to obey instead? If I start going red, who am I obeying? The evil one. I'm beginning to behave uh, in not, uh, uh, not in concert with who I am. If I obey Jesus, then I'm following the green, and I begin to move away from the wall a little bit more. So first, I have to start thinking, who's my king? When I hear the whisper, Laurie's running right exactly on time again, <laughs> instead of giving me my margin for my life. I lied, 10 minutes early is to be on time, as far as I'm concerned. What do I do when I sit in the car? Motor running. <laughs> Air conditioner on. <laughs> Gasoline <laughs> being consumed. What do I do? First, I have to remember somebody's going to start whispering in my ear. Ream her out. She can't do that to you. Doesn't she understand, after almost 38 years, what you need to live and to have a good, peaceful life? Doesn't she get it? How could she be so daft after 38 years? Bill, you should tell her so. Okay? First step. You're lying. <laughs> You're lying to me. You're no longer my king, and you can't tell me what to do. Jesus is my king, and I will listen to what he tells me to do. And what does he tell me to do? He tells me to die for my wife. That's what he says. <laughs> oh, <laughs> one, okay, I could really jump her for that or give her the, the stink eye. You know, when she gets in the car, make sure when she gets in and she gets settled, she's buckling her seatbelt. <laughs> see what time it is, honey? <laughs> Maybe you didn't see. <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> I've perfected this art. <sighs> Sometimes my car rides are not very happy. <laughs> Whose fault? Mine. Why? because I listen to the lie. I listen to the lie. How do I move away from the wall? Transforming the heart begins in the mind. What am I supposed to do? I am to know something. What am I to know? That I am no longer who I was, and I am now united with Christ. If Jesus were behind the wheel... And Laurie showed up five minutes late. 
Is Jesus freaking out? Is he going, hey, Laurie, <laughs> look at the time, honey. I'm going to guess no. <laughs> Jesus is loving, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's who he is. He is not <laughs> uh, me. I need him as my king. I am no longer who I was. Now I am united with Christ. How about my will? Paul again tells me, I am to reckon. I must trust God's Word more than what I feel. Oh, that's key. What I feel, uh, perhaps what I want to do, um, what's worked in the past, Start thinking your way through these things. First, what do I need to know? Paul says, do you not know? You are no longer who you were. You are now united with Christ. I am therefore to reckon that what God tells me through His Word is more true of me than what I think or feel or have experienced in the past. God's Word is more true to me than what I think or feel or have experienced in the past. I have to reckon on that. Two plus two equals four. I have to reckon on that. That is true. That is more true than what I think or what I feel or my past experience, which leads to His empowering action to me, through me, because I am to yield. Is someone who's yielded working? No. What are they doing? Uh, they're yielding. I, am no, I no longer serve sin as ruler. I now serve Jesus. And so this is the thing. Um, this is, I, here's a change I made. You remember the years ago we had the what would Jesus do bracelet? I never could figure that out. If you read the Gospels, I never guessed right. What would Jesus do? Jesus, I'd whack him. No, that's not what he does. <laughs> Jesus, I'd love him. No, that's not what he does. <laughs> I gave up. I don't know what Jesus would do. <laughs> All I know is, what would Jesus want me to do here? And that's what I can find in the Bible. So I added a W. What would Jesus want me to do? Because <laughs> I don't know what he would have done, but I know that this is true. And so I have to find something in here for my little brain bracelet. What would Jesus want me to do here? Would he want me to, honey, maybe your watch stopped. Maybe you forgot to charge it. Just in case. There's one in the car dash right there too. Maybe you could see that one. You know, there's one in the kitchen on the way out through the garage door. Maybe you saw that one. I don't know. But look, mine works. What would Jesus want me to do? Bill, remember, I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. <sighs> Who's the voice whispering in my ear? The evil one. And he says, take your pound of flesh. You deserve it. You've earned it. Mm. 
What do I need to know? What do I need to reckon or count on? And then what do I need to yield? So in this little silly illustration, what do I need to yield? I need to yield my need to attack her. Why do I think, why do I deserve that? That's nutty. What do I need to know? I am no longer who I was. What do I need to reckon? Pull a Bible verse. What do I need to yield? Lord, I need to yield uh, this crazy desire, this wrong desire, because it's wrong. What do I need to do? I need to yield all these words I want to say. And I need you to love my wife through me as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's what I need to do. What do I need to know? What do I need to reckon? What do I need to yield? I need to remember who I am and whose I am. I need to summon up the word to my mind in order to apply the truth to the situation. And then I need to act in faith in accordance with that truth. That if I treat my wife correctly, that this will be him working through me. There's the faith. This is what I'm trusting. This is my faith. Make this a habit, and through His mighty power at work within you, you will sin less. Romans 6, a great, great chapter. It does not answer all the questions, and therefore, next week we will talk about Romans Seven, and we will get the answer to yet another question. Seven and eight, great chapters. Come on. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for Your Word. Your Word is truth. Uh, We know these things are true. Uh, We just struggle to make them habits. Would You help us, please? Would this time, as we go through Romans, would this time be different for each one of us in a positive, sanctifying way. Help us to make these habits um, so-called second nature uh, so that we might, uh, in our death, the death we died, we died to sin, and then on the life we live, we live to you, our great God and his amazing King, the Lord Jesus. Uh, We long to do that and pray that you would do that in us and through us, please, for your glory and for our good. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.